Welcome. You are listening to Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, part of the Iconochromatic Podcast Network. Before I begin, I will warn you, there will be spoilers about the film, so if you've not seen this before, I would recommend switching off, watching the film first, and then coming back and listening to this podcast. Other than that, enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Crystal Windsor, and my co-host, Mike Larkin. Although I think I called you Mark Larkin last time for some stupid reason, I do apologize. So say hello, Mike. Hello, Mike. This is actually the first time we're recording a Sunday Afternoon podcast on a Sunday. Although, when you're listening to this, this is actually a week ago, so we're coming to you from the past. Always speaking in the future, depending on your perspective. <laughs> so what film do we, what film are we doing this week then, Mike? We are doing Green Room. Yes, we this are week. indeed. Um, uh, you, uh, yes. uh, just before we start, I'd mm-hmm. just like to say spoiler alert. Oh God, yes. If there you are... haven't seen this movie, pause the podcast. We'll wait for you. <laughs> Go away, watch the movie, come back. Listen to the podcast because there are going to be spoilers. Yes, I we are most likely going to spoil the shit out of this film. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Although, with that being said, I'm going to give a small synopsis in just a moment. But I'm I'm going to try and not give too much away um, personally. But yeah, so basically, uh, to give a brief overview of this film, uh, Green Room is a slasher slash thriller with elements of horror thrown in for good measure, made by writer director Jeremy Sonia. In the past, um, Jeremy has made two of the films, Blue Ruin and Martyr Party. I've not seen either, although, Mike, did you say that you'd seen um, Blue Ruin? Is I've that seen, right? I watched, uh, watched Murder Party last night. Because I've got to be honest with you, and you know, you may well be the same. I'd never heard of Jeremy Salnoya, or Salnoya, I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name, to be perfectly honest with you. Before... So, sorry, say again? Salnoya. I see, you're far more sophisticated than I am. Um, and I'd not heard of him until Green Room came along. But based purely on this one film, um, I think he is a writer and a director that we really need to keep an eye on. Now, based on the fact that you've seen um, Blue Ruin, what what did you think? What what did you think of his earlier work? I haven't seen Blue Ruin. Sorry, um, Party, sorry. I've seen Murder Party. Murder Party is a very humorous film. Um, it, it's played as a co- as a comedy horror, whereas obviously Green Room is just played as, as a direct horror. Um, and I, it was very entertaining. I've got to say, because I believe very well. Um, you you said that you basically you came across and wanted to do this from the um from the Valentine's podcast we did where I mentioned Green Room. What what was it about me talking about it? that made you think, I really want to see this film? Well, the, f- the, f- the first thing I heard about it was actually, thinking back, I'd read a piece about it in Empire sometime last year. Um, and it was just it was Patrick Stewart and Jeremy Sonier talking about the movie, and Patrick Stewart saying that when he'd read the script, he actually went round his house locked all the doors, set the alarms and everything, and just, you know, shut the curtains. He was he was terrified by the script, <laughs> but realised he wanted to do the movie. So, uh, reading that, I thought, okay, this looks like it's going to be good. 
And then when it came out, it didn't get a massive release. I no, it didn't. Here, in fact. Um, I saw it, in fact, purely by accident. No, well, no, not by accident. I'd meant to see it for a long time because I'd seen... Um, I'd seen trailers for it for a while, but um, like you say, it was a very difficult film to actually go out and see. So the minute I knew it was coming to fact, it was like, yeah, I've got to see this film. Yeah. Um, and it was just, when you mentioned it in the, in the Valentine's podcast, um, it brought it back to mind that I hadn't yet seen this movie. And it was just the other day, in fact, because I'd been to see Logan, and I thought... Great film. Great film. And I was looking for something to watch. So I went on to Patrick Stewart's IMDb page and kind of happened upon it again from there. Um, although first I did watch his a television series he's been in called Blunt Talk, which is hilarious. It's, it's basically... His character from American Dad as a talk show host. Okay. Which is uh, which is very interesting, but it's it's obviously Patrick Stewart in real life. It's not a, not a cartoon. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not I'm not the world's you know. I'll I'll come on to this later, but I'm not the world's biggest fan of Patrick Stewart. And when I say that, I don't mean that in a demeaning way to say that. Oh, I don't like Patrick Stewart, but more in the sense of. I just don't know an awful lot about him. Um, aside from this, the only things I really could truly say I've seen Patrick Stewart in the last decade um, were indeed Logan and one episode of Frasier where he plays a wonderfully comedic um, role as um, Frasier's gay partner um, because Frasier befriends him and suddenly realises that if he pretends to be gay and pretends to be um, Patrick Stewart's boyfriend, he suddenly, he, the door's open to all these social um, parts <laughs> of the life that, that Frasier's never had access to before. And it, it's just it's just beautiful. It's just such a funny episode. It really is. And I mean, it's only a one-off, but it's honestly one of the funniest things I've ever seen Patrick Stewart do. Uh, he's a very, he's a very talented comedic actor when given the chance. And I think it's because you don't expect it from him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, I mean, I've never seen Star Trek. It's not because I've got anything against Star Trek. It's just I just don't happen to care about Star Trek. It's just one of those things. And he, I imagine that in that he'd be very much a straight-laced character. Would that be correct? Very much so. Um, he plays plays a Frenchman, Jean Luc Picard. Uh, so, yeah, very very straight laced. Although there are there are moments of uh, of light heartedness in there. Uh, Did he ever have a French but, accent? No, That's of course not. I'd, 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 I'd like him to go up to the aliens and go like, oh, 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 the aliens, they're under radar. Yeah, no, it's it's not quite like that, but um. But yeah, I, I mean, he's been on my radar. He, I mean, I first saw him as I'm sure a lot of people did in Star Trek. And going going on that note, I'd just like to point out this movie is pretty much the next generation versus the new generation in Green Room because you've got obviously, as we say, Patrick Stewart, Jean Luc Picard, and you've also got 
Pavel Chekhov from the new movies. Oh, right, okay. Um, as played, played by the late Anton Yelchin. Yes, because sadly, um, sadly he died not too long after making this film. Um, yeah, from this is his last, the last movie that was released before he died. Which is a shame because you get the feeling that the guy could be, you know, could have been he a damn fine a actor. Great, great actor. A great, great actor. I, I've enjoyed every movie I've seen him in. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's let's get into the film. So Green Room for me is a classic example of a smart horror film. Um, for those who haven't seen it, the film follows a punk band who are very they're very much the blueprint of the DIY punk ethic. And arriving at an, at an interview, they discuss their bands, what they do, and why they do it. Due to a gag, due to a gig rather being cancelled at last minute, the band go to what can be described as a clubhouse at worst, at best rather, and at worst a compound. Arriving at the location, we find out that the um, that the location is owned and is ran by a white ring neo-Nazi group. Going into the stage to open, they play a wonderful, fit, wonderfully fitting song, uh, Nazi Punk's Fuck Off by the Dead Kennedys, which, as you can imagine, doesn't go down especially well. Preparing to leave the phone, preparing to leave the gig, rather, a phone is left on charge in a classic, if they hadn't gone back to get the phone, all would have been well functioned that is used in an awful lot of these films, but there we are. I'll be 15 minutes into it. Exactly, yes. Um, it's retrieved by one of the band members who, walking in, sees a dead body lying on the floor with a knife permanently fixed into somebody's head. And so the film starts a little so the film starts to go a little bit mad from here. What's most concerning about this film is the calm nature of the owner and the people around the group itself. The band, what you know, the band state that they don't want to be kept there. You know, they they say, you know, you can't keep us here. You know, you, we we've got to be there at some stage. So, well, we're not keeping you here. We're just not letting you leave. Obviously, this is the same thing, but the thing is, it comes across as such a rational, reasonable argument that you kind of think, well, they're, they're kind of right, to be fair. And yeah. so the police arrive um, after a call is made by one of the band members due to, a, due to the stabbing that's happened earlier in the film. The police arrive and discover a stabbing that has occurred in the location. Except the stabbing, except the stabbing rather, is a stage stabbing, so that they can remove any presence of the police from the situation and calm it all down a bit. And so negotiations start, and so on walks um, Patrick Stewart, playing the leader Darcy, who starts to negotiate with the band between the door, explaining he doesn't want any bloodshed, he just wants them out of the situation, and primarily because a gun that's involved is not legally purchased and he doesn't want it in his club. The negotiation continues, and eventually Darcy persuades them to open the door, and so shit starts to hit the fan. And in what could be described as a plan going very wrong, the band members all start up going round the club, trying to um, trying to escape, either being killed, dismembered, or basically just taken out of the equation Eaten entirely. Sorry. Eaten by dogs. Eaten by dogs at one stage, yep. And escape plans start to formulate between the band, and they try to start getting out and staying alive. 
Survival instincts kicked in, and just half an hour into the film, in what was a dirty rock bar, but that many of us have visited probably in the past, but was still somewhere that you'd like to go on a Saturday night, it becomes a house of horrors where you have no idea how you will survive, or if you're going to survive at all. And that is a very brief plot synopsis, to be honest with you. I didn't want to go into it too much, but, you know, we are going to definitely go into spoilers territory in a minute. Um, now, what makes this film so special, I've noted down what I think it makes it so special. But, Mike, do you want to just start us off with what your first initial um, reaction to this film was? My first, my first reaction was, this is a monster movie. Very much a monster movie in that, you know, it's... It may not be Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger, but the threat is real. It's 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 a pervasive threat. I think um, it's worse. It's, yeah, absolutely. Because um, it's it's very much a real a real world threat, um, and you know there is no escaping. You know, it's Freddy Krueger. You can wake up from your dreams, and you know he's gone. These guys are just going to keep coming. Um, and they've obviously got a vested interest in in kind of silencing the band because, as we find out later on in the movie, below the club, they're actually running a heroin operation. Um, so they want to keep... They obviously want to keep their, their drug operation running without, ever be, without any risk of it being reported to the police. And they can't do this while the band is alive. Um, so it, it becomes... It turns very quickly from a hostage standoff movie into a stalk and slash. It's, it's a movie of, I'd say, three parts, in fact. You've obviously got the introduction at the beginning. You've then got the discovery of the body and the standoff that happens between the band and Darcy and his men outside. And then you've got, as I say, it, it devolves into this into this stalk and slash horror film, which um, which is very, very, very effective in, in seamlessly blending the, the three stages. Absolutely. I mean, I think the... It, it's almost when when the film starts, it is very bland in its in its way, but you know, in 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 a good way, in a strange good way. You know, there's there's not an awful lot going on except you know that you're following these people who, in their own words, are staying very much off the grid. And I think that adds to the element of a horror film. You know, as 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 they point out, nobody is coming to look for these people. You know. If yeah. something happens to them, you know, they could... They're off the grid anyway. Sorry? They're off the grid anyway just because of the way they live. Yeah, no one's going to miss them. No one's going to notice that they've gone missing, you know, in, in any way. And, I mean, I think Darcy is such a wonderful character because he is so calm and he is so collected. Um, You know, he just doesn't want any trouble. And... He, he's he's scarier because of that, and you know it's it's just weird. It's so freaky. It's, it's the lengths he's willing to go to to prevent trouble. Yes, and um, and conversely ends up causing 
because because he wants no trouble actually ends up causing more trouble than was probably required. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a, this is a movie that from the beginning you just you get the feeling shit's gonna go sideways, and it does in a in a big start in in a massive massive way. Very um, quickly. Very quickly, and um, it's it's almost comedic the way it happens so quickly. Oh, gotcha! Definitely, yeah. It it, <laughs> it is quite funny, you know. It it is humorous. This film, in 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 many ways. I mean, um, you know, the the discussion about the fact that um, they don't have bullets in the gun; they have cartridges. The bullet is the, the part that comes out of the cartridge that goes into your head. It's like, why are you even? What? Why is that even a discussion point? But it is. It is quite funny in in a way. You know that there is a certain amount of comedy in this, um, and I do like it because of that. Um, now I've noted down a couple of things that I think that um, make this film so special. So I'll read them out um, one at a time, and then I'll see what uh, see what Mike makes of this to see see what you think, bud. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is this is a horror film. But like so many great horror films, it's not reliant on shock tactics of most horror cinema where you get loud bangs, where you get jump scares, and where you get long drawn out chases that that are the norm. This is bleak, it's grimy, it feels real. So many horror films and thriller films take you out of real life and go to an, go to a massive area, to a supernatural um, element, and so you lose connection and you lose basis with the actual, you know, no- normality and reality of a situation. Now that's fine, you know. If you want to make a film in that way, in a certain, you know, horror films and such, might that's fine. But the problem is, I think it leaves you with a small amount of doubt in your own mind and credibility about how much you can actually take this that film seriously, how scary yeah. you find it, and whether you even care about it at the end of it. Whilst I'd hate to think that this film is based in any way on any kind of reality, honestly, I think it possibly is based on a certain amount of reality. There are still places, sadly, I believe, in Eastern Europe where white power groups such as this are still prevalent and carry on today. And as a white man, I would not want to go anywhere near these places, not just because I hate these groups for every fibre of my being on principle, but because I would be damn afraid of what I would say and whether someone would point a gun at my head because these people don't necessarily seem to be the most rational people on earth and that's what makes this film terrifying oh absolutely um, just, a, just a side note there there's a bar in Liverpool and you know this place as well as I do um, I won't mention its name but let's just say that everyone who doesn't know it just when you mention the name, he says, oh, that's the biker bar, isn't it? Now, years ago, I used to go to this to this pub every Thursday night for quiz night. And there used to be a, a group of neo-Nazis who drank there, uh, led by a guy with the charming moniker of Piggy. And one week they won. They actually won the quiz. And I was speaking to the landlord. I was in the toilet afterwards speaking to the landlord. I said, oh, I can't believe we got beaten by Nazis. 
and Orlando said, oh, that can be your team name for next week. And I said, oh, what, beaten by Nazis? And as I said this, Piggy walked in and gave me the filthiest look I've ever had. I shit myself. Jesus. Because I thought, Obviously, he's got to take that out of context and not in the humorous way I meant it. <laughs> and I, I thought, God, I'm going to get my head kicked in. Um, do I have to say that they no longer frequent this bar? Um, they gave up going there years ago, and apparently he got attacked and severely brain damaged not long after. Um which, if you're going to lead that kind of lifestyle, you can't even invite in that anyway. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does It does scare me. I mean, I seem to remember watching, I think it was um, a Ross Kemp on Gangs programme, and I think he was in Poland. And, you know, with that programme, and anyone who's seen it, you know, you take it with a pinch of salt, what you're seeing. I actually remember them doing one, in Liverpool, and you know, he he spoke to a lot of kids, and it turned out afterwards he turned around and effectively fed them lines and said, "This is what I want you to say," and it was like, right, so that whole thing was bullshit, then Ross. It was like, yeah, kind of was, yeah, but to be but, and this is a big but, I can. I can kind of believe that in certain parts of Eastern Europe, this is still a thing, and that scares the shit out of me. And not only does it scare me, but it depresses me that there's still this, there still seems to be this certain level of group out there that 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 believe that this is something that is okay. At. But it's, yeah, it's not just in, not just in Eastern Europe. Let's... You know, oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't wish to generalise by any stretch of imagination. That was just, you know, the first thing that came into my head. To be honest with you, yeah, that it, it is more prevalent in Eastern Europe, and you know, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a widespread problem, and yeah. it's, it's not something I can get behind that kind of ideology. Um, yeah. Absolutely, you know, it, it, it's. Let's face it, it's fucking ridiculous to think that anyone is better than anyone else. Yeah. But I but we digress, folks. We, we let's get back on. We do, yes. Um, okay, so the second thought that I came up was the location. The location that they're in could be anywhere out the anywhere in the world and would not be out of place. It it it's almost like a clubhouse that they go to like, play at. Like a barn. It is, yeah. It's it's like um, it it reminds me of one of those um, buildings that are made out of fiberglass that you just plonk in the middle of nowhere that comes on the back of a on the back of a lorry. Yeah, and and it, it also, I mean, not not that I ever went to these places because I was far too young and I didn't have any friends. But it reminds me of the underground and rave scenes of the nineteen nineties where people wanted oh, to have illegal right. raves. Very much so, very much so. And I think that's that's probably that might be the kind of thing he was going for. You know, that that secluded, isolated feeling. Absolutely, if this, yeah. If this happened in an inner city, that would have removed the, the threat immediately. It's the fact that this place is in the middle of nowhere. There's Definitely. no there's no yeah. civilization. I mean, I, I think um 
you know, the the. This location grounds the horror in the reality. There's nothing special about this location. You know, it, it's out in the middle of nowhere where very people would ever go unless they ever really needed to. And it is very much off the beaten track. You know, they, they seem to have to go a fairly long way from a main road just to be able to get to the location that they are in. If you came across this, you would be, you know, just on a, just on a hike you'd be incredibly lucky or incredibly unlucky depending on your perspective on this and also what's shown is how long it takes from the police being called to them actually arriving there there is a very long period of time um yeah. i mean i say for a long period of time i think it's about maybe 10 12 minutes episode so most but you know it certainly shows look you know these police are not just waiting around the corner. In reality, it probably would have taken the police a lot longer to get there than they actually did in the film, but then again, we wouldn't have a, a particularly interesting film. Absolutely. Um, the, the next point is the violence in this film, and pff, there's a bit of it, okay? Not going to lie. Yeah. The violence is bloody horrible, but it's not over the top, in my opinion. There aren't exploding heads in this. What came to mind for me when I first watched this, and indeed when I rewatched it again, was that it reminded me of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think the yeah. director clearly understands the tension. The terror is far more of an effective tool than mess and blood and guts being spilled all over the floor. What made Texas Chainsaw Massacre so effective, I think as we discussed in the Halloween episode wasn't the violence, it wasn't the blood, because there was actually very little blood and very little violence in, in Texas Chainsaw. What made Texas Chainsaw so effective was that there were just brief moments of violence and suddenly it was just out of the way. And I think that's what what works in this well, film. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but when Toby Hooper made Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he made it as a PG. I can kind of believe that. Because... And, uh, yeah. Obviously, you know, no no film censor in the world is going to really going to ever release Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a PG. No. But that's the way he made it. He made it so any anyone could watch it. So that's why there's very minimal blood, very, very little gore. Um because he wanted he wanted it to be a, not a family friendly movie, but <laughs> kind of, you know, he it's kind of a film that kids could watch and not be too frightened by. I mean, you know, actually, no. Let's not let's not go there. Otherwise, we'll maybe at the end of the episode we can talk about that a little bit more. I yeah. mean, you know, for, for people out there, please don't misunderstand me. This is not a nice film. There is blood. There are nasty scenes. It is sustained. It is continual. You see it happen. And it makes a point before your tr your brain can truly focus on what's happening to move away just as quickly. I mean, I think one of one of the nastiest scenes. Well, there's two particularly nasty scenes in this film. I think the first is where the lead um, band member puts his arm through the door and effectively gets his arm chopped off without actually completing what's happened. And the second one is when the person is lying on the floor dead. One of them turns around and says, well, maybe they're not really dead, which is just the stupidest thing to say in the world. But, you know, the guy basically grabs hold of the knife and pulls the body round with the knife 
as if to prove, well, no, I have killed her, and then removes the knife, and then blood comes splattering out. Yeah, she's dead, you moron. What, what, you know, honestly? You think she's going to sit up and say, hi, how are you, you idiot? Yeah. You know? Uh, just a point on that, um, Jeremy Sony actually added that scene for two purposes. The first one is he'd seen a prison documentary, apparently, where it showed someone getting dragged around in the same way oh, after being stabbed in the skull. And the second is when she says, oh, there's not much blood, she might still be alive. There'd been a similar head stabbing scene in his previous movie, Blue Ribbon. Ah, um, okay. And people criticised it and said there was far too much blood when she got stabbed, when this person got stabbed in the head. So it was kind of a snub <laughs> to those people who said, you know, there, wasn't much, there was too much blood. No, so he purposely, cool. he purposely uh, sh- shot it with very little blood at first. And that's why he pulls the blood, the knife out and goes, there's the blood. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and the final point that I that I have before we move on to the characters is that the inside location, I think, is, where, is very much worth talking about. Aside from the outside um, occasional shots, it's primarily within this location. It's very constricting, it's very strangling, and it's very restricting. It adds to the terror and the chilling of the unknown of what's happening and makes you really feel what the group are feeling. It also adds to the difficulty in this foreign environment. The band members are in there and they have no idea where they're going and it's entirely unfamiliar. On the other hand, the owners know where they are. They have the upper hand. They know it. And crucially, the band know they have, they have the, other hap- the other hand. The upper hand, rather. And that makes it, you know, their reactions that much more realistic. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the characters for, for a little while. Um, there's an awful lot of, of cast in this film. There's so many we, we could spend the next hour talking about them, which we did in The Departed. So, I thought, I've picked out four characters that I think are best to talk about um okay so we've got anton yelchin who plays pat who's the lead protagonist of the film um generally pat is the one that you feel the most the most for he is the most likable and the one who gets most of the parts and manages to keep head his head in the massive confusion and panic um, as I said at the beginning, Anton is a fine actor who is sadly going to be missed, I think, and I think he could have gone to do great things. What did you think of Anton in this? I I really enjoyed Anton and the Austin in this. Um, I mean, I, as I say, I think he's a very good, very good actor in anything he's in. Um, I'm, I was sad to hear of his death, to be honest, because there were so many films he had that would have been ideal for sequels and continuations. Um, not just the Star Trek franchise, but he also had the likes of Odd Thomas in his in his uh, in his catalogue. And he, he could have done could have been so much more. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's the only thing I can think to say. To be honest, is that. He's going to be missed. Yeah, I. I mean, I don't know how old he was, but I, if I was to make a guess, 
I would have said he was around 27, 28, sort of a, sort of a, sort of an age Seven. wise. How 27. Old 27. Ah, oh, so almost there. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know it sounds strange to get, you know, so attached to someone after only one film, but honestly, I thought he was wonderful in this. I really think he did. Uh, Imogen Poots, strange name, but always makes me laugh. Uh, plays um, Amber in this, and she is an actress who I've come across in the past um, in a wonderfully dark comedic film, um, A Long Way Down, and in both films she's wonderful. She doesn't has she doesn't have as much to say in this, um, mainly because there are I think because there are so many people in this, it it would be very difficult to have her have an awful lot of screen uh, screen time and to be fair she's kind of the the odd one out um in in, in fairness but when she does talk, she's, she's not wonderful. from the band she's not from the band she's from That's the right. other band yeah she, she she's um, there she's just there as a hanger on her effectively isn't she well she, i mean she's kind of the survive the survivor member from if you will because there's obviously two bands um and she was in the room when the murder happened. Yeah. So she is the odd one out purely because she's not of that gang. Although she's certainly not on the side of the neo-Nazis, the, the band that Pat is a part of doesn't immediately trust her because she was kind of involved, if you will, in what happened while they were out of the room. I mean, what what I love um, line-wise and dialogue-wise, and, and also what hooked me in, because it was in the trailer the first time I saw it, is there's this wonderful, wonderful scene, rather, where all the lights go off in the club, and everybody's shouting, everybody's arguing, no one has any clue what's going on, and suddenly everybody stops, and then you suddenly have a lighter light up, and, and she just turns around and says, careful now. And it's such yeah. a simple line, and it is... It's quite terrifying, in a way, and I, I don't know why, but every time she says it, it gets me. I don't know if it's because it's said with so little emotion. I don't know if it's because she's the one person who's keeping her head in this whole insanity, but I just love it as a line. I, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what do you think of her? I think it's still... It's... It's just delivered the way it should be. That line, uh, you know, there's no drama, no panache. It's just literally, be careful, you know, calm down. And it's it's the cooler head prevailing for once in these movies. Um, it is, it is a great line and delivered, just really low key, is the way it's delivered. You know, it, yeah. Um, and I mean, not not to go off track too much because I know we do that quite a lot, and for that I apologise. But if you want to see Imogen Poots in something something else, I really would say watch A Long Way Down because she is so funny in it. Um, and you know, maybe we'll talk about it at the end of the film. But it, she is she's just all, wonderful in this. She's also, by the way, in Filth. She was, was wasn't it? she? Yeah, and um, wasn't she in the Fast and the Furious films as well, or something? Uh, for Speed. Close. Need for speed, that was it, yeah. Aren't, aren't they basically the same? Actually, you know what, I'll stop talking, I don't want to offend parts of our she audience. Was, she was awesome in the remake of Friday Night with Anton Yelchin. Oh, really? Yeah. I will give that a look then. Um, 
I've not seen that. Is it any good? It's, I mean, I prefer the original, but it, as a remake, it's not got Michael Bay's name on it, so. <laughs> now, come be... on. Enough Michael Bay bashing. We've, I've, already had, I've already had a complaint from a friend about our Michael Bay bashing. We, we really need to stop that. So, we've talked about some of the, two of the good guys. Let's have a talk about some of the bad guys. Um, okay, the first thing I want to, first person I want to bring up, rather, is Macon Blair who plays Gabe, and he's one of the lead men that you really see in this film. And he's also most one of the most sympathetic characters. Now, I know it, I know it sounds strange to say that you could have sympathy for someone who is involved in such a despicable and such a deplorable group, group rather. But you get the feeling that he doesn't really want to be there. You know, he, he is, yeah. I think he's he's probably one of these. He's he's gone along to the meetings because he's you know he's been told by a mate, oh uh, you know you should really come along to one of these things. So he's kind of gone along, not unwillingly but unwittingly. Yeah, he, he's a sheep. He he has yeah. just been pulled along because he happens because he doesn't know any better. He's kind of a sad figure in that regard. Um, you know, he doesn't seem to want to bring harm to anyone. He's not stupid and he is clever. He's just not very forthright and he's not able to stand up for himself. I mean what what really turned me around on him and you know, I didn't pick up on this the first time I saw it, but in second viewing I did, um, is when Pat and Amber um, kill two of the gang members right near to the end of the film and they confront Gabe and Gabe is just standing there basically just saying you know what I'm done I'm washing my hands of this literally If you when you watch the film I want out he says yeah, I don't want to go to jail for this it's not worth going to jail for me for this crap and you know he is one of the few people in this film, I think, who doesn't cause any direct harm to anyone. He's trying to clear up other people's mess, but he is trying to keep a sense of order, in, you know, in in that room and in you know, uh, and 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 within within the club, you know. As I say, I know it's strange to say that you could you could, you should feel sympathy for someone like this involved in something like this, but I did find I did kind of feel sorry for him. He, he is, he is, as you say, he's a sympathetic character. Just because you, you kind of get the, the, the feeling that he's just, he's there by accident. You know, he's, he's not being born into this. Um, he's kind of just turned up and and got dragged into things. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of, he's, as you say, you know, he says, um. I don't want to go to jail with this. Um, kind of saying, listen, this isn't my fight. Um, I've got no beef with you guys. I'm going to let you walk out of it if you do the same for me. And and if my, if, if my memory serves me correctly, Gabe is the brother of the person that we meet at the start of the film, isn't he? Yeah, uh, cousin. Cousin, that was it, yes. So he's probably got a certain amount of wanting to stay out of it as well because he possibly doesn't want any harm to come to his cousin or something along those lines. I would say so, but I, th- uh, I think he's just 
you know, he's he's a punk rocker maybe who, as I say, kind of gets taken into this lifestyle without realizing quite what's going on behind the scenes. Hmm. Uh, it is easy. I can, I can imagine it would be easy to kind of get drawn dra- into that lifestyle. It's purely yeah. Yeah. Um, and as you say, he is he's a sympathetic character. He's he's kind of a quiet guy who just you know we've all met him. You know, the guy who just sits in the corner with a with a pint quietly. Yeah, he he knows his job, he knows his role, and he's just trying to get on and get by as best as he can. I think. Yes, definitely. So, the, oh, the next character we talk about has to be Darcy. Yes, he is very much on my list. On my on my list of the uh, of the next and final character to talk about. Um, he was the biggest shock for me. Uh, I had no clue he was in this film beforehand, and as I said at the beginning, having little exposure to Star Trek and indeed X Men, uh, I didn't know anything much about him. He's one of those actors actors that I know he's a good actor. But if I saw when I saw him, it didn't click straight away. Um, it's like when I saw Vice Roy's house recently. I had no clue that that was Gillian Anderson, and I went through most of this film having absolutely no clue that this was Patrick Stewart. He is one of those actors that I went through all the time thinking, "I know you. Why do I know you?" And when I saw his name on the credits, I was like, "Oh my God, it's Patrick Stewart! Jesus!" Sir and Patrick, yeah, Sir, pa- Sir Patrick Stewart. Sorry, I do apologise. I mean, I'm not enough for effect because he is a knight of the realm after all. He is. I mean, what makes he is a surprise addition to this movie? Sorry. Uh, I think he's a very welcome surprise addition. Oh God, yeah. I mean, don't don't know what to expect from him. Absolutely not. I mean, what 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 is so good about Darcy, and what is so what works so well about him, and what's so scary about him is how calm he is. He's rational. He's he's almost pleasant. And the best line that he says is, you know, whatever you saw or did is no longer my concern. But let's be clear, it won't it won't end well. It's not delivered with anger, but almost one of impatience, like. Oh, for fuck's sake, this is just another thing I've got to deal with today. Can we just get... Can we just sort this out and move on? Because, honestly, I'm losing patience. And that that was the feeling I got from him. This film would have worked without Patrick Stewart. There's no doubt about this. But I don't think it would have been the same. It definitely wouldn't have been the same. Uh, he just brings a... Gra- I, I, I think one of the best things about it is when he says... You know, he's shouting at each other through the door. He says, listen, I'm getting hoarse. Can you hear me at this volume if I don't shout? Yes. That, for me, is is just... It's the way he delivers the line and says, listen, you know, I think it's more the fact that he wants to calm things down and shouting through the door won't do that. And also, sorry, I know it's a very a, a daft line, but it's just one that made me laugh very quickly, sorry. is when they're walking away and he says, and can you move all this equipment, please? It's a fire hazard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just the way, he's just the way he's, he's so cool about, 
what's happening, and you kind of go, that guy is is frightening because he's, you know, if nothing is phasing him. Absolutely. I mean, he, he reminds me um, very much of oh, what was the character's name? I think it was, I think it was Cameron Alexander. Um, I think that was the character's name anyway. Um, and I'm gonna have to look this up because I, I want to be certain about this. Um, in uh, American History X. Yeah. Um, you know, which which is another film that's you know it's it's not quite the same as this, but it's 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 you know similar, similar sort. Similar, because obviously it, it deals with um, it deal, deals with neo Nazis in America. Uh, let me just check this. Uh, bum, 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 what was his name? Yes, Cameron Alexander. I was right about that. Um, yeah, in both films. You can tell. Well, Cameron's a bit more more so than than Darcy is in this, but like I say, it it's almost like Darcy just wants a quiet life. He he owns this club, but he doesn't seem to want to have any responsibility for what's happening inside it. He he yeah. doesn't want to know about you know all 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 the all the bad all stuff the... that's going on around it. He he almost sounds tired. I mean, when when he when he turns around to everyone, you know, when, 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 you know, they're trying to, trying to calm everything down, you know, when he, he turns around to the crowd and said, sorry, we've got a power failure, we've got to shut down, but, you know, um, we'll be back open tomorrow, there'll be no, there'll be no dull charge between two and four, hell, f- free drinks, you know, it's, it's the sound of someone who is just defeated. And it's and just like, oh, for God's sake, yeah. That's all. I think he's he's regaining control, and obviously he can't do that while while he's got a couple of patrons who don't know what's going on. Um, so he has he has to kind of take control of things, and the way he does that is by basically shutting off the electricity to the club, yeah, and faking a power outage. And saying, "Listen, you know, we're on a backup generator. You're gonna have to go home, but to make it up for to, uh, you know, free drinks on Sunday." Um, and that's just it's getting getting the patrons out of the way, so that kind of the real fun and games can begin, if you will. Yes, I know what you mean. Point that this that it becomes a cat a, a cat and mouse game. Very much. I mean, you can almost, you know, without wishing to give Darcy and people like him far too much credit than he deserves, but you can almost understand why people fall in line with the guy. He's a leader, and that's what makes him, I think for me, uh, more more terrifying, is that he is so cool and calm. Throughout the whole thing, and he just treats it as a massive inconvenience, and that's that's kind of the way he comes across. Uh, listen, you know, this is my Friday night. So you you fucking up here? How <laughs> dare you? Yeah. Um, do, do, do you know how much money I'm losing because of this? Yeah, and he, he, I mean, we've we saw clerks in the past. 
a he's kind of the neo-Nazi version of Clerks. You know, I wasn't meant to be in today. <laughs> um, and what it, it's it is surprising to see Patrick Stewart in such a villainous role. I think because um, we're so used to seeing them as you know, kind of genial older gents. Uh, you know, even in the X Men movies, he's he's a nice guy. And I think he still is to a certain extent in this film. In 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 a in a weird way, I think he still is. Um, it, he is charming. He is genial. He is just trying to get by. You know, as as you said, he 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 doesn't. He apparently doesn't want to raise his voice mainly because mainly because he can't, and also because he just wants to keep calm. Um, you know, he he seems like he just wants, like like I said, it, it's almost I don't know. He's very, he's a very strange character. He's and he's one that I will not soon forget in the same way that the Cameron Alexander character stuck with me for a very long time. Yeah, because. You know, you do get these people, and you know, you can call them a, a leader of men. I think is the way, is the best way to put it. Because they're the ones who kind of you don't know why you're drawn to them as characters, because they should be kind of reprehensible. But at the same time, there's a certain charisma behind them as well that you, you know you can you can see why people would be drawn to them. As a leader, yeah. Uh, uh, sadly, yes. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely uh, right. See, much in the same way, Cameron Alexander in American History X, it's it's charisma uh, in a very different way between the two characters, um, because Cameron Alexander obviously wants to embrace this lifestyle and kind of make the most out of it, whereas Whereas Darcy is is very much kind of the backseat driver, if you will. He, he just wants to, to kind of live a quiet life. As yeah. long as he's making money from his heroin, he doesn't, doesn't really care what happens. So, uh, I'll I'll do a bit of a a bit of a do a conclusion, a bit of a wrap up, and then we'll we'll probably carry on talking because I think we still have quite a lot more to say. But for me, this film really is an instant classic. I think it's a film that has everything. It's scary, it keeps you on the edge of your seat, and it keeps you wondering how the hell are they going to get out? And if they do get out, what kind of shape are they going to be in to be, you know, at the end of it? It's yeah. a film where it would be very easy to see the characters and what they did as stupid, that they made mistakes right from the beginning of the film. Um, you know, at the start of it, they play that song to a bunch of people. They clearly know it's not a good idea. Why? Why would you do that? I get them wanting to make a statement. I'm all for that. But to me, this behaviour is just stupid and it's reckless. And the group seem to think they're invincible and that they can get away with just about everything. And and they would probably argue otherwise. The band also start as this one unified group who are looking after each other, but very quickly break down. And with one very mature statement of, 
fuck it. They break down the door and run around like chickens with their heads cut off. They have no plan. They have no idea of what they're going to do except they want to survive. And to be fair, you can't really blame them for their actions. You know, they're in an unpredictable situation where the odds are stacked against them. And so really, living by your instincts and your reactions is probably the best thing you could do in that scenario anyway. I'd say so, yeah. This film came out with an awful lot of stiff um, competition when it did. There were an awful lot of good films when this came this came around. I can't specifically where this remember where this entered into my top films of 2016, but I'm fairly certain it was in my top 10, and it will be remembered for a very long time. I think this film stands up to multiple viewings. Uh, as I say, I initially saw it in the cinema. As soon as it came out on DVD, I bought it, watched it again, and loved it all over again. And watching it last night, even though I knew the ending and what was going to happen, it still had me gripped, and I still think... Good God, that was that was just something special. I, I think that there's a fantastic line at the end of the movie, by the way, um, <laughs> where, where Pat Anton Yelchin says, "You know, I know what my Desert Island disc would be," and she just turns around and goes, yeah, "Nobody gives a shit." <laughs> no, the uh, sorry, um, I, I hate to correct you there, Mike, but the line actually is, "Tell someone who gives a shit." <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it's just a throwaway line, but you know what? It really, it really made me chuckle with that because it was, no, it, like, it was just like. And and you saying that has actually just reminded me of something that did actually make me feel a bit sad at the very end of it, and it was um, where um, Pat and Amber, you know, they've got through the worst of it. It's. It, it, it's almost the end. They've gone through a shootout um, with Darcy and another member, and they're almost safe. And suddenly, one of the fighting dogs that we see um, earlier in the film comes walking up the road. And they pick up the guns to defend themselves from this dog. And this dog just completely ignores them and carries on walking and goes and, goes and puts its head on, the, on its dead owner, you know, showing that. It's yeah. not the animal. It's the owner. Yeah. Yeah. And it is quite sad. Do you know what? At the time of what? At the time I first saw that, I, I did. I did feel sad, and you know, they picked up the guns. They both tried to shoot the dog. You know, obviously both guns were empty by this point, so they didn't manage it. Which, without wishing to sound like I, over the way down, I actually did go. Oh. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say that I support animal cruelty or anything along those lines, but given that situation, what happened previously, you can't really blame them for wanting to try and shoot this dog if it gets anywhere near them. No, absolutely not. But, but it, it did make me sad for the dog. You know, the dog's lost its owner. Yeah, I mean, the dog wouldn't, didn't have anything to do with it. It was thrown in the, into the situation, you know, through, through, no fault of it, through no fault of its own. Um, what I also loved about this was it almost felt like it was in real time. I mean, it clearly wasn't, but it, it, it you know, it was in the confines of one um, 12 hour period. When they arrived at the club, it was, I would say, about mid-afternoon, getting on towards evening, probably about six o'clock, five o'clock. Um, it's difficult to determine what time was. 
because of where they were in the country so you're not sure what the sunlight situation would be in that area and rather like the end of scream and indeed the end of um going back to sex here's why i'm asking for a second you can see the sunlight coming up and you feel that things are going to be okay that, that things might just be all right because we've got an, you know to, to quote the to quote the event before his line it's a new dawn it's a new day let's just try and get out of here because it's been a hell of a night to put it lightly yeah uh, uh, to go back to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre the, the original tagline for that was um, I think it was who will survive and what will be left of them yes yes um, it, that's very much what this film feels like it feels like it was built around that tagline um, in that you're not sure who will survive if they'll survive and it's it's the fact that it is unpredictable and it's not afraid to kill off characters absolutely not you know you, you've got these lead characters where you think well obviously they're going to survive they're, they're in this film but you know that that doesn't mean anything sadly you know it doesn't mean they're all going to survive yeah, it's it's the characters you think, surely they're going to die, that end up surviving. Yeah, because because they are such you know I don't know, but like you say, you just wouldn't expect them to survive. Um, yeah. And I mean, oh sorry, carry on, sorry. I mean, by this point, I'm guessing people would have heeded my spoil warning at the beginning and gone and watched this movie, so they know exactly what we're talking about by now. <laughs> if they don't, then they've, you know, fuck them. <laughs> um, you should have listened, folks. Should have listened. <laughs> it was good advice. So what would you say to people who've never seen this film before, who've never come across it, and they, you know, um, say, you know, someone someone that you work with comes up to you and says, I've heard about this Dream Rune film. What do you think? I tell them to prepare themselves. Because um, it, it's not... It's not... A, it's not an uneasy film. Sorry, it's not an easy film to watch. It's quite uneasy in places, um, which is not a bad thing because it it is it's a generally very tense movie. Um, and I, from the moment you get into the club, you feel that and it's a it's a palpable tension that you feel. Yeah, absolutely. It's building up from there, and. You know, you kind of think there's got to be a release at some point. It's got to got to let off, and uh, it does. Up until the final part of the movie, this film does not let up. It doesn't stop. No, it it, it does make you feel like you you don't know when it's going to end or how it's going to end. I mean, and it's not a particularly long long film by today's standards, but it does feel, you know... It, it feels longer than it is. Yes, I mean, it does feel harrowing. I mean, we're talking about the film, it's an hour and 35 minutes, so as you say, it's not a long movie at all, but it's a, it's a hard movie. It, it is. is. And 
I, I think it's up there as one of the classic horror films. I, I really think it is. Oh, for me, certainly, it's got to be. And if, if people are talking about this film 10, 15 years from now, I'll be glad. Because it's a film that deserves to be watched, it deserves to be talked about. I think it is, but I can't, you know, I can't say ever winning any kind of, any, any, any massive awards or anything along those lines. Um, I, I think it's a film that is always going to be um, quite underground, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's kind of an, it's, it's an indie movie. But it's also mainstream, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think in the best possible way, it's an indie film. I mean, the re- the reason je- just to go back to the to the director right, right Jeremy Sonnier. Of course. The reason he made this movie is because he was obviously getting more traction as a as a director from you know kind of from the studios. He knew that he wouldn't be allowed to make it once he got into the studio system. Mm. And he knew that there was no way anyone would allow a first-time director to make it. So it was kind of his farewell, if you will, to the to the world he'd started. You know, to, to the world of underground filmmaking. He, want, he wanted to make it as his kind of his last statement before going into into the mainstream world. I mean, do, do you think he will go on to do an awful lot of mainstream work? I mean, he he does remind me of um, um and names and words are suddenly failing me. Words, Christopher, never mind. Forget Eli it. Roth. Sorry, Eli Roth. Um, to to a certain extent, Eli Roth, but also sorry. Let me just find this. Uh, let me just find this guy's name very quickly. Um, I keep on talking for a second. Absolutely. Uh, He's got a film coming out next year called uh, Hold the Dark. Okay. Which, um, looking at the cast list so far, seems to be fairly mainstream. He's got Skarsgård, James Badsdale, Jeffrey Wright from the James Bond movies. Um, so the director I was thinking of was um, somebody uh, named Ben Wheatley, who ben. has done a, quite a few um, underground films. Uh, he recently did a film um, called uh, Free Fire, which was interesting. Uh, he also did a wonderful um, take on a J.G. Ballard story called High Rise, and also uh, A Field in England and Sightseers, which were all fantastic films. So, you know, I think there's room for, for these independent directors. And I do wonder, is is him going away from indie directing going to affect his ability, you know, or, or at least what he's allowed to do? In, like you say, is, is it going to stop him from being able to do what he really wants to do by mainstream media? I don't know. Um, I mean, I've seen Sightseers, which I think was just a wonderfully bizarre movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's the best way I can think to describe that because words escape me when when it comes to actually defining it. <laughs> um, I mean, I think in much the same way that, as previously mentioned, Eli Roth, he, he even 
Quentin Tarantino have become mainstream. Yes. You've very much kept their kept their style alive, if you will. Yeah, I mean, uh, some some of the shots in this really were very special and really were very well done. Um, I mean, there it's a very short scene, but it's a very good scene nonetheless. Um, is at the very beginning of the film where there was a um, when they were in the club and the band were playing and it goes into a slow motion mode um, of of the band playing and it, it's it's quite nice it's it's strange but it's nice nonetheless I think it, I think that's the first shot that shows you there's something not quite right in this club because um, it shows Anton Yelchin Pat kind of taking a step back from the microphone and this guy's walking past on the on the on the main floor and just spits out a mouthful of beer <laughs> it, kind of in their direction. And you know, they've they've been having bottles and glasses thrown at them. Yeah. But this is kind of what tips them off that they're not quite welcome here. No. And for me, I mean, I, I used to play in bands, and I can't say I've ever had glasses thrown at me, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but that that would have been a bit of a hint to me, I think. If I, if I... What what's, what scares me a little is the the type of music these people listen to. It's like, really, because I like this music. And I don't want to be associated with these people. I mean, I know you didn't hear much um, of, uh, I think they were called Cowcatcher, the uh, the other band. But, you know, I, I believe they are actually a real band. They're not called Cowcatcher, but I believe they they are an actual band. So I'd be interested to try and find out who they are and, and what they're like. But they they remind me of, um, you know, of, of a Cannibal Corpse type band. Yeah. Uh, I, I would assume. Just an interesting note here, by the way. Um, the the band that's played in the movie by kind of the main actors actually play all their own music. That's quite interesting, actually, yeah. Um, because Anton Yeltsin could play his own instruments and a couple of the other cast members could. And the ones who couldn't actually went out and took lessons. <laughs> that is kind of cool, actually. I think that's just that's just adds a layer of kind of authenticity to me. Yeah, no, that that is quite cool that they actually did do that, um, and I think the uh, I think the bands who play are a band called Fear, I believe. I'm I'm going to try and find them because I'd be interested in them now. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've got much more to say on this except to say you know really, go out and watch this. Because yeah, I think it is yeah. something special. Um, just to just want to go back, by the way, and you know I unfairly criticised Michael Bay earlier. <laughs> um, I would like to apologise because I did watch last night, and I don't know if you've seen it. Going back into remake territory, uh, Amityville Horror. Um, no, I've never seen the original, and I've not seen the remake either. Um. It wasn't wasn't bad because it actually kept a lot of a lot more of the original story behind Amityville in the movie, 
uh, which I think worked worked a lot better than the original ever did, um, because it touched on. Uh, I don't know if you know the story behind it, but the, it was based on a true story, uh, where in the seventies a young man named Ronald DeFeo Jr. Now, sorry, was it based on a true story? Was it a true story? Or was it based on an idea that someone said to someone on a Saturday afternoon whilst drinking True Story? No, it was based on a true story because the the actual house, the real house, which is in uh, upstate New York, there had been murders there in the 70s committed by a young man called Ronald DeFeo Jr. who slaughtered his entire family. Nice. And... Um, and said, you know, the voices made me do it. You know, the voices in the house made me do it. <laughs> um, and I love he, it when people use that as a defence. But it kept that part of the story as the introduction to the movie. Right. Um, which the original never did. Because obviously the original was made kind of late 70s, early 80s. So I think it was probably a bit too recent for them to include that in the story. Right. But um, I'm I'm going to admit now, maybe I'm a bit biased because this film's got Ryan Reynolds in and I'm comfortable enough to say that I've got a bit of a man crush (laughs) on young Ryan. I, I think he's. I think he's a great actor. You know, anything he's anything he's in, I'll happily hand over my money to watch. Um, because I, I just really enjoy him in anything he's in. No, there's 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 nothing wrong in a you know in, in absolutely not. Um, you know, I think I I can't think of any particular actors that I feel that way about. But I know that. Um, Ever since uh, Room came out, um, I've been desperate to see almost everything that Brie Larson is in, just because I think she is such a damn good actress. So I think, no, I kind of understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, as I say, maybe a bit biased just because of Ryan Reynolds, but I think he's a great actor, great comedic actor, and a great. He's he's quite quite good dramatically as well yeah. as this movie goes. Excellent. Well, should we um should we call time there for this week? I I think so. Yeah, I think I think we're we're all talked out. So I've apologised for my bay bashing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that's also you're going to get out of me on that subject. Well, as ever, thank you very much for listening. It's uh, it's greatly appreciated. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing. Uh, I can be found on SoundCloud and also through the Iconochromatic website. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please listen to the Iconochromatic podcast that myself also, and Derek do on yeah. a fortnightly basis, uh, where we talk about more recent films. Sorry, Mike. Feel free to share the link, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want. Absolutely. Um, And we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you as ever for joining me, Mike. Thank you, Chris. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. This has been Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, on the podcast network Iconochromatic. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.